0: Bible, or some device you'll be looking at the Scriptures with us this morning, we'll be in Luke chapter 17. We've been working our way uh, through Luke now for almost a year, I'm getting close to that. Um, and, and remember, Luke ultimately is wanting to write this kind of orderly account of the life of, of Jesus, from the announcement of His birth, through His life, through His death, through his resurrection, then into the sequel, which is Acts, which shows us kind of the first generation or so of the church, and he's wanting to write it to show, like, one, um, an orderly account so that we can believe, but two, he's also helping Theophilus, who the, the letter is initially written to, understand um, why there's conflict, right? Like, how did it get to the point that there's there's conflict between um, Judaism, right, and, and the church in this first generation? And so, let's begin in verse 11 of Luke 17. On the way to Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee. And as he entered a village, he was met by ten lepers, who stood at a distance, and lifted up their voices, saying, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest... And as they went, they were cleansed. And then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and he fell on his face at Jesus' feet, giving him thanks. Now he was a Samaritan. And then Jesus answered, Were not ten cleansed? Where are the nine? Was, not, was no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, Rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. And so in this kind of short vignette here, I want to make sure we kind of set the scene of what's going on. If you remember earlier in Luke, what we've been told is that Jesus has set his face to go to Jerusalem. right? Like He is headed there. He knows that the, the cross awaits him. And with resolve, he is working his way through the country um, to Jerusalem, knowing what awaits him. And Luke is using this um, and and just kind of telling these stories and these miracles and these different things that occurred as Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. And conflict is continuing to build. It's getting more and more so between the religious elite and Jesus as he's teaching, that they're looking for ways to to trap him or to get rid of him. And we have now, as he's walking through kind of a, a rural area, comes upon a village this situation with ten lepers. Now listen, um, leprosy, when, when we see it in Scripture, uh, is not just modern leprosy. It would have been really any kind of skin condition. There was a long list of them. and It was kind of an all-inclusive uh, term. But we see in Leviticus in the Old Testament, in chapter 13, in verse 45 and 46, it says, The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes, let the hair of his head hang loose, shall cover his upper lip, and cry out, Unclean, unclean. And he shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean, and he shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Right? And so the, the disease of leprosy was not just that you were suffering from a condition, it was also socially you were marginalized. You were put to the outside. You weren't allowed to live in cities that you had to dress in a manner that would show that you were meant to be set apart and not in a good way, in a, in a, you, that you had been separated and removed, right? That you had to carry shame, right? And, and so you would, you would be seen that way that people would know from a distance, oh, I don't want to get too close to this person. Um, if someone wasn't um, seeing that or noticing, then you would have to yell out with a loud voice like, I'm unclean, I'm unclean. You're supposed to stay like 50 paces away from someone. And so you can imagine the shame that someone carries, right, when they've literally been removed from society. You can imagine um, the the lack of physical touch and the emotional connection that they would have as they have been ostracized and left out because people were afraid of, of catching these contagious skin conditions. They believed that it was a literal curse and a punishment from God Listen, we don't really have something like this in our culture. That that, but there was maybe for a brief moment where if you coughed, right, that you you felt shame, right? You felt all the eyes in the room look, and you knew people were thinking, "What are they doing in public?" And and, and we can laugh about it now, but there was a moment where right, like you felt the room turn, and you're like. I just have the sniffles, I'm okay, and no one cared, right? Like there was, there was legitimate kind of um, societal pressure upon us. But you weren't having to walk around going, I have COVID, I have COVID, stay away. But it's, how, it's what you felt internally. And here we have a situation where someone is walking around and they're having to say, I'm unclean, like stay away from me. And leprosy was actually something that didn't require only healing, but if you were healed from it, it also required cleansing, right? Like you had to go and make sacrifices and be deemed cleansed and purified by a priest. So it was like this kind of emotional, spiritual, and physical element. And so with that in mind, so these ten lepers see Jesus and his, his entourage Working their way. And, and they come, and because they can't get close, right? From a distance, they start yelling out, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. They're already kind of pushing the bounds of what society would have allowed by simply approaching at all. And here they are yelling out, Master, Jesus, have mercy on us. When they say Master, they're they're recognizing. We really only see this in relation to the disciples that they call Jesus Master. So the, the lepers are already saying, hey, we, we believe you have some authority and the ability to show us some mercy. And in verse 14, when he saw them and he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priests. So here's what he's saying to them. He's like, alright, I see that you're, you're lepers, that you're from a distance, and he doesn't... We've seen him in, in Luke 5. He actually touched a leprous man, and the, the man was immediately healed and cleansed, right? And Jesus didn't get leprosy. Right? We're seeing the restoration of the kingdom of God happening through the life of Jesus. But here, he, he just looks at him and he says, Go. Like, Go to the priest. And, and what, is he, what is he asking them to do? He's asking them to show some faith. If you're going to turn and act then you're believing that when you get to the priest, the priest is actually going to say that you're cleansed and healed and purified. We're seeing verse 5 earlier that we, we preached last week in chapter 17, when the apostle said to the Lord, increase our faith. And he says you only have to have a little bit. You only have to have a little to see God do tremendous things. He's actually kind of illustrating this for us here when he tells them, go to the priest. Like, go and find that you're going to be restored and healed and cleansed, and you'll be back in society. And so they act upon this and they go. And look at the end of verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. Right? So you can imagine them hurrying. Maybe they were hurrying. Maybe they're like, I don't know that he did what he said he would do. Like, you can imagine the conversation. But as they're headed to the priest, Um, probably going, okay, if I get there and I'm not cleansed, I'm not going in, like they're probably having these conversations and they look down and they realize they're healed. And nine of them continue on. And they continue on because you can imagine now they are running ahead because they're anxious to be restored to society. Right? They're like, I can't wait to show people and to tell people and I want to be back a part of the world that I belong to. But one of them Notice this that he's cleansed. Verse 15. And when he saw that he was healed, he turned back and he praised God with a loud voice. Like he's like, he did it. And he goes back to Jesus and he falls, right, and shows reverence, falls at his feet, right, and he's worshiping and he's thanking him and he's praising him with a loud voice. And Jesus answered, we're not ten cleansed? Like he's talking to the, his disciples now. Where are the other nine? Right? And he's asking these kind of rhetorical questions. And we'll come back to that in a moment. But first, I want us just to kind of spend some time with this idea of the marginalized here. Because he, he lets us know that this guy was actually a foreigner and he had leprosy. He's marginalized in multiple ways. Like, what hope, what mercy, what good news is Jesus revealing to us here in Luke? And I want to remind us that he, in Luke chapter 4, quoted from Isaiah 61. This is Luke 4, verse 18 and following. And he said, "...the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because He's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives, the recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And so all throughout Luke, we're seeing these, these stories, these miracles sprinkled in, that is showing that what Jesus has claimed to be able to do, from Isaiah 61, these promises, this hope of God, that He's doing it. like That He is bringing sight and healing and hope and freedom to all peoples. The character of God is on display that even as He knows that He is headed to the cross, even as He is in open conflict right with the religious elite, that He is still stopping to see people. He's seeing them and He's meeting their needs and He's providing mercy and grace and healing and hope. And so this morning for us, as we think about those of us that have shame and have guilt, Right, as you think through the things that have done that in your life. Maybe failures in school and business and relationships. Maybe it's been broken relationships. Maybe it's been abuse that has been done to you or abuse that you have acted out on others. Your words that have not been kind. Areas where you have been selfish. Where you've abandoned your responsibility. Where you have worshiped and sought out things other than the holy God who has rescued us. With sexual sin, right? Like, as you think through your life and the things this morning that would make you feel shame or would make you feel guilt or would make you feel marginalized, or maybe it's things that others have put on you, right? It's your, it's your economic um, strata, right? It's your skin, it's your ethnicity, right? It's things that you have felt like others have put on you and placed shame on you. Right, that we can begin to imagine ourselves as the lepers here needing mercy and needing hope and needing rescue. Knowing that the standard of a holy God is perfection and we have not met that. That we are needing mercy. One of the things that a leper would have been called was the living dead. Right, like, as even, because it looked like their skin was decaying and de- decomposing and th- sometimes they're even losing limbs. Or digits, right? They would have been this idea of like they're the living dead. They're, they're seeing where we're all, we can see where we're all headed. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. This is Ephesians chapter 2. And he writes this in verse 1 And you, speaking to the church, were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you, in which you once walked. You follow in the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. What Paul is saying is, listen, all of us have had shame. All of us have had guilt. No one is apart from that. And that we were dead in those things. And so as a leper was the living dead, walking, right, being separated out, seeing the pollution and the, and the, the effect of, of sickness, Paul says, actually, church, that was simply a picture of what's going on in you. That our sin has polluted us. That we are, by nature, children of wrath, deserving the wrath and the punishment of God because He's holy and we're not and that we are marked by sin, and we are the living dead, headed towards separation with God, apart from Him, right? Damned, waiting for rescue and mercy. That there is a greater separation than even a leper being removed from their community, is that we are separated from the holy God that we belong to, that we need, and we have no way to get back to Him. We have a greater pollution... With sin and leprosy, we have a greater separation than being removed from our community. We have been removed from the presence of God, from the nearness of God, from having a path back to Him. And so Peter writes, and this is First Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And so Christ suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that He might bring us to God being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit. Right? That God has suffered, that Jesus has suffered once for all. Right? The righteous, the, the righteous one on behalf of the unrighteous, the, the well one on behalf of the sick one, the living one on behalf of the dead in sin one. This is the hope and the beauty of the Gospel that where Jesus is headed even in this story is to the cross, right? Where He will be put to death, where He will be have shame heaped upon Him, betrayal heaped upon Him, violence heaped upon Him, right? There will be physical pain and there will also be spitting and name-calling and these things like stripping Him, putting shame and violence and difficulty upon Him. Right? It, it is a, it's a picture of what our sin is actually deserving of. Pain, shame, separation, and death. It's what a leper's life looked like. It's what Jesus' kind of faux trial and crucifixion looked like. And it's because of our sin, of our living deadness, of the pollution that is within us. And we are the ones crying out now, God, have mercy on us. Have mercy on us. And we have found that Jesus is that mercy. That He has come to do what we could not do to bring us back to the Father. And so when we see here in verse 15, then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he turned back. This is a a picture of faith that he's saying, this is where I was going and now I'm going this way. I'm going back to Jesus. He is the source of all of this. He is the hope. He is my rescue. It's not religious works, it's him. And he goes back and he falls on his face and he he gives reverence to him. Because Jesus was the source of his hope, of his healing, of his rescue. And I want you to see the beauty of this picture. As the leper first sees Jesus, he is at a distance going, Unclean. But Master have mercy on me. What does he do here? Then one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back, praising God with a loud voice, and look at verse 16, and he fell on his face where? At Jesus' feet. The, the separation was gone. The farness was gone. He's now in worship and in reverence at Jesus' feet. He is no longer far off. He is near because he has been restored by Jesus. And It is a picture of what God is doing Um, for us not only physically but spiritually that we were once far off and we through the life the death the resurrection of jesus have been brought near to worship him to know him to be at his feet what a beautiful kind of like literary picture that luke paints for us here and so the question then is this are we asking for mercy like do we believe that the character of God is so good that we can ask for mercy today. Right? Like, what has Luke already shown us in Jesus? That he says, "Listen, our good Father wants to hear your request, and because he's a good Father, he's going to give you good things, and he doesn't tire of your request. You can come to him frequently and often, bringing the same thing, and he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't get frustrated with you. He doesn't remove himself from you. He is a good." Father, with good character. Peter will write that we can cast our cares and anxieties upon Him in First Peter 5. Why? Because He cares for us. That we can ask for mercy. There's, there's some pain in this story, though. Because only one received the biggest mercy. Nine got some mercy, but they missed the greater mercy. Listen, the nine who go on excited, you can imagine their enthusiasm, their rejoicing, can't wait to see their wife and their kids, or right? they can't wait to be back in, in, in life. But what have they forgotten? They've forgotten Jesus. They've forgotten where it came from, and they're just anxious for their life to be better. When the one goes back, look at how Jesus ends it in verse 19 and he said to him rise he's at his feet and go your way your faith has made you well here he is not he's not regarding his skin he is saying your faith has saved you. your faith has made you whole not only physically but spiritually your faith has made you right with me that Jesus has rescued this person and so listen only one of these folks was actually saved the rest will have temporary benefit it will benefit the rest of their their natural life but what is what do we know scripture teaches that for all of us it's appointed death and after death is judgment and they have missed jesus and so they've had a temporarily an improvement in their life remember we saw the same idea in luke chapter 11 where it says that there will be those who will have exorcisms right like demons removed but if they don't then trust and follow jesus right They just come back stronger, finding the house swept clean. He's saying, listen, the sign itself, whether it's healing or whether it's um, the feeding of the 5,000 or whether it's the splitting of the Red Sea or whether it's an exorcism, a sign itself is not sufficient for salvation. We need Jesus. Jesus is what makes us saved. Jesus is what rescues us. And so you will see this in jailhouse confessions, not all that are false, right, but some that are in tragedies, right, where we cry out and go, God, I'll do anything, just rescue them, save them, heal them, make it like, right? And how often do people then forget those moments where God has shown tremendous grace and kindness and mercy, and then they go on living their life having forgotten how desperate they were for Jesus in the moment. We see this literally lived out here where nine you know they can probably say, "Man, I'm glad that guy did that for me," but they've missed the greater mercy. They've missed the greater rescue, the greater redemption. They needed Jesus, not simply a sign. For those of us this morning, though, that are walking in this, that you know Jesus has rescued me, right? That we then are meant to image this mercy. Look at Luke six twenty-six. I'm sorry, 636. Be merciful, even as your Father is merciful. That we are called then to receive mercy and then to give mercy. It's what the church, it's what believers have been called to do, to image it. And what we're reminding ourselves this morning is that when we look at the shameful, the the marginalized, those who are currently opposed and away from God, we have to remind ourselves, but by the grace of God, that's me. Because what that does is it feeds humility, right? It doesn't let us right, walk around in spiritual pride and arrogance, believing ourselves to be superior and better to someone else. But it lets us go, yes, and if Jesus hadn't rescued me, my life would be a train wreck as well. I would be covered in shame. I would be covered in guilt. I would be pursuing other things. And yet, Jesus has rescued me. And so it allows us to pursue those, right? Right? who have nothing to add, right? Nothing to give back, right? It's why Jesus says that you invite those in the streets to the feast. Because what do we receive? We receive free grace and free mercy. We did not deserve our own salvation, but God has given it freely and gladly. And so then we go out and image the character of God to the world. And not just those who act like us, talk like us, look like us, and make us feel comfortable. But to all. To all the marginalized. To all that are carrying shame and are currently the enemies of God, believing because Jesus is alive. He is not still in the tomb. that His Spirit is going before us. His Word is alive. And Jesus is going to rescue and save and redeem. And just like the miraculous here with the leper, and just like the miraculous in our own life. That He will do that for others who are currently far off. And He will bring them there. That they too will be in right relationship with God. That they will belong at the table, eating and enjoying Him. That we believe that He will save and transform. That He is alive and at work. That's why Colossians 1 tells us that the Gospel continues to bear fruit to this day that we are the living image of that, and we continue to pursue. It's why at Redeemer we want to be reflective of our community. We don't pick who lives here, but we want anyone who's here to have a seat, to belong, to know that Jesus is sufficient. Listen, what He tells the disciples in verse 16, He says, "...He fell on His feet at Jesus' feet. He gave Him thanks, and He was a Samaritan." The, the audience hearing this would have been like, what?! A Samaritan, a foreigner, they hate us. They're hostile to us. And what he is reminding the disciples and what he's reminding us is that those who look like they should get it, the Jews who have the the ethnic purity, that have the religious vigor, sometimes they're going to miss it. And those who seem the furthest off are those who will receive it. He's not saying the Jews here can't be saved. He's simply saying, I want to shock you into seeing that those that you think are beyond saving can be saved. Those who are further gone than you can even imagine are the ones who can see and restore and trust and be known by me. And so church, we want to image this sort of grace. We want to be the ones running after and pursuing others. He is challenging the Jews' privileged position here in Jesus and saying, you can miss it. I'll miss it. Don't miss it. Don't be far off. Be near. Like, let's live out this kingdom ethic. And the final thing this morning is not just that we were all once marginalized and that we should then show mercy in that regard. But the question is this. Are we showing gratitude for what He's done? Because as this man comes back, he says that he falls at his feet praising God with a loud voice. When we say that someone's praising, what we're saying is they're thankful for who that person is, like their characteristics, their attributes. When we show gratitude, we are saying thank you for what God has actually done. And so he is both praising God for who he is, and he's showing gratitude for the fact that God has healed him and rescued him here. Church, would we be reminded that Romans 8 tells us that for those of us in Christ, there is no condemnation. There's no condemnation. That we praise God that He is gracious and merciful. We show gratitude for the rescue that He has poured out in our life. Listen, the, the ability to have eyes to see our own need, the grace to recognize the need that we are far off and we are separated, it's a severe kindness. Because when we feel the weight of our guilt and our shame, it feels like it can crush us. But in that, the grace of God meets us because the grace of God far outruns our sin. And we haven't out His love or His grace. It's the, it's the story of the prodigal that we saw in Luke 15. Right? The prodigal goes off, he lives, he has is, he is shamed his father, he has sinned, he has lived a vile life. And then he wakes up one day and realizes, I have a need. My father can answer it. And he goes back willing to simply be a servant. And yet the Father sees him and runs out after him, embracing him, weeping. Right, His grace outruns the son's sin. He brings him back in. And so this morning, right, your sin has not outrun the ability of God to save you, to rescue you, to pour out grace upon you. And so often when we begin to think of our shame or our guilt, we can be, try to push those thoughts to the side, we don't want to be overwhelmed by them. But in seeing them and seeing our need is actually when God can then say, and it's forgiven. It's done. It is finished. I have put it to death and you are mine. Be near. Trust and follow me. Church, would we be a people who would have eyes to see all the ways that God is at work around us? That we would be a grateful people? That we would slow down and consider what's going on around us and voice gratitude, write gratitude, share gratitude. God has done fill in the blank in my life. That we would be quick to want to say those things. Listen, that we know that what we feed grows. And so if we feed gratitude, right, if we share gratitude our ability to see it and to rejoice in it and to celebrate it and to praise God for it will only grow. And when we begin to get crotchety, what's he done for me lately? We begin to look like Pharisees. Right? We begin to think that we're superior to others. That if they would only be more like us, they wouldn't be so far from God. And yet, that doesn't reveal the heart of God at all. Church, as you picture Luke 17, 11 through 19, would you picture yourself as one of the lepers? God, I'm far from you. I have a desperate need. Have mercy on me. And when He pours that mercy out on you, that you would be the one that would run back in gratitude, saying, God, thank you for who you are and what you've done as this gentleman gets up and goes back out, that he would continue to be the one that worships, right? And shows gratitude and praise for what God has done. We could spend countless hours sharing what God has done in this room alone. Would we be known for that? How God has rescued us individually. How God continues to pour out mercy. How God has removed shame and guilt. How God has been kind and how God continues to pursue and to rescue. He is worthy of our whole lives. That, that the trajectory of our lives would change and that we would lay down the things that we currently long for and pursue and say, no, 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 I want Him. I want more of Him. And that we would do it in our marriages, in our parenting, we would do it in our finances, we would do it in our workspaces, we would do it in our hobbies, that, that we would say, what we want is Him. What we want is more of Him. Because He is worthy, because look at what He has done. So church, as we enter a time of worship through song, there will be an opportunity for you to come back and to visit with someone, to pray with someone. Um, But maybe even before you stand to sing this morning, would you practice gratitude? And allow the Spirit to, to bring to mind something that you just want to say, Jesus, thank you that you have done this for me. And fill in that blank. That we would, that we would say it to someone this afternoon. That we would begin to write list and allow that to just, listen, if, if the goal was to write down 10, if the goal was to write down 100, if the goal was to write down 1,000, we, we could do it. Even each of our individual lives. We just have to be able to look for it and to give the praise to where it belongs to Jesus. Let's pray. Father, you are worthy of our worship. So would we be a people who are glad to give it? God, even now, would you just be working in our hearts and our minds to consider our salvation, but also other areas and other things that you have done that we would rejoice and celebrate in your kindness and in your grace and in your mercy and in your pursuit. God, that you have put to open shame the enemy, that you have removed our shame, that you have removed our guilt at great cost to yourself. and that we would be glad to worship at your feet and that we would be glad to speak of what you've done and that we would be glad to be your your character image in the marginalized and the shame and the in, in the shamed and those who are far off from you now that we would run hard after them pointing them to where we have found grace hope rescue, that we would be humble servants, and that you would be pleased with our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.